0: Hope you will turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel 6, the text Daniel read for us a few minutes ago, will be the first part of what we're going to study together for the next uh, little while. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend, and we are so glad, as I mentioned at the beginning of worship, we have visitors who are with us today. We welcome you to our assembly, and I hope you'll come back and be with us again whenever you can, whenever you can. Always Welcome. If I threw out some names like Enron, you've been if some that, may, that name may not mean anything to some of you. Perhaps if you, I don't know, I don't, I don't even remember when the, exactly the Enron scandal was. That, do you remember the Enron deal? That name bring up ring a bell? WorldCom. That was about the same time. Remember some of the stuff going on this last year with Facebook and you know the selling data information i googled um the the search phrase was something like scandals in america corporate scandals in america and i think there were like 8400 billion hits or something <laughs> you know I, I, it's it's not a surprise to to any of you any of any of us to recognize that we live in a world that is fraught with scandals, right? I mean, political scandals, how, how, often, how often do we have a week or even a day where something doesn't happen, some, some headline that hits the news where some political leader, some corporate leader, some corporate scandal, something going on at a national level, big level... But of course, it's it's bigger than that. It's it, it happens on the local level. It happens in our personal relationships. We have people who betray us. We have things going on. You've got things going on in your work right now, probably where there's some rumors going around. Somebody's you know cooking the books a little bit. Somebody's fudging the numbers. You know, stuff stuff happens all the time. We live in a world where it needs. This has always been the case. I want to say more than ever, I don't know that that's true because I know it's always been true, but I want to say we live in a world that more than ever needs you and me as Christians to live a different kind of life. The world needs us to show them what integrity looks like. Because we we live in a world where Christianity, sometimes for for various reasons, Christianity doesn't have the best name. Uh, We aren't typically portrayed well on sitcoms. If there's a religious character in a sitcom or a, a, a drama on television, if there's a religious character in a movie that we see, usually that religious character is going to stand for what? Often, often he or she is going to stand for maybe hypocrisy or uh, maybe being too traditional, being a person of hate. You know, So, so we're not portrayed that well in the media. So often... So often, people in our, in our world now that's becoming increasingly secular, they don't, they don't know, they don't really have any kind of experience of a Christian who truly is living what it means to be a Christian. We need that. People need that. story we're going to study this morning in Daniel chapter 6 is a pretty well-known story, one of the most well-known, I guess, of, of the book of Daniel, certainly, if not the whole Old Testament. It's Daniel in the lion's den. I think we're going to be talking about this in Vacation Bible School here in a few weeks. Our children are going to be learning more about this great story of Daniel. Uh, I think he's going to be called the Lion Tamer, right, in Vacation Bible School here in just a few weeks. So uh, children look forward to hearing about this story in some different kinds of ways here in the next few weeks. But we're going to study it for the next little bit in our own, in our own assembly. I want to talk to you guys about what a life of integrity looks like' let's look at, this, let's look, at this, look at the chapter with me for a minute. Daniel chapter six we read these first five verses which set the stage for us. we're going to key in on a couple of things that the writer mentions in these few verses in Daniel 6 let's look at it again I want to point out just a couple of things that pleased Darius or Darius to set over the kingdom these satraps which were some sort of political uh, political office. Uh, Darius is a Persian king, and we're living in the time of, i mentioned earlier, the time of the exile. God's people had been taken from Jerusalem and the, in, in the surrounding areas. Many of them had been taken over to Babylon, Babylonia. They were in exile. They initially were under the reign of, of uh, Babylonian kings, but that, that mantle has been passed to the Persians at this point, so Darius is a Persian king. Anyway, all that's really irrelevant for the main point. Daniel is in hostile territory. He's He's in a place where, uh, well, people don't really care so much about God. They don't care so much about the God of the, that we know as Yahweh. They don't care that much about the God of the Jews. In fact, they, could care, they couldn't care less about Him, honestly. They've got these people there who are living in exile and they are an, an oppressed people, and, and they're trying to figure out how do we live in the midst of hostility? How do we, how do, we do that? We got a couple of stories in in the auditorium class this morning. For those of you who are in it, we studied Daniel 3. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. Remember that story? Great story about people who were unwilling to bow down in front of that, that golden statue at the risk of death. God rescued them, of course. Here we have a similar story, but one told about Daniel. Daniel's probably advanced in age at this point, and he is a man of great prominence. He has risen from Daniel 1. He's brought there as a youth a young man, perhaps a teenager, and now he's grown up, and and by Daniel chapter 6, he likely is advanced in age, and he has risen from being this insignificant, at least by by Babylonian standards, he was an insignificant youth with no power, no position, no prominence, and he has risen to this great position of political prominence. And so when it says here that uh, Darius set over the kingdom 120 satraps and then over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account. Just recognize this political structure. you've got these 120 satraps who are important officials, and then you've got three over them, and Daniel is one of those three. So what we're talking about here, we're supposed to read this as being, Daniel's a pretty big deal. All right he's, he's a big deal. And these guys reporting to Darius, who's the king, who's a Persian king. So this is a position of prominence, and Daniel just tells us, you know A a little about him. He's these satraps, he's 120, report to Daniel and two other of his peers so that the king might not suffer loss. Verse 3 this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. So you got these three guys over the 120 who are over the nation, and of those three guys, Daniel is the chief one. He's the prominent one, he's the most important one. Because, look at verse 3, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he's going to promote him even farther. So, what does this lead to? Well, there's, there's jealousy. I want to go ahead, before we think about reflecting on integrity, I want us just to walk through this story together for the first few minutes, and then I'm going to share four things with you about what integrity looks like and where it comes from. If you read on past verse 5 to verse 6, they come to the king. They come to King Darius and uh, live forever, they say to him in verse 6. And they said, you know, they had come up with this plan. We know we're not going to get Daniel in trouble if we're left to just trying to figure out that he's made some sort of mistake or he's, he's lost some integrity somewhere, we know, we know that's not going to happen. So the only way we're going to get him in trouble is by his relationship to his God. That's the only way. And so they go, they go to the king and they say, verse 8, King, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, so this law cannot be changed. In the last part of verse 7, the petition, the, uh, the ordinance is that anybody who makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you O king shall be cast into the den of lions. So here's the thing they know about Daniel he's a man of integrity he he's not somebody that you're going to you you're, you're going to catch you know if you you check his email and you check his browsing history and you you get his his uh, tax return back and you you sort through his his trash, his garbage that he's, he's put out, you know, and you go through all that stuff and you interview people closest to him, he's not going to be some, somebody who cheated on his taxes or, or went to some websites he shouldn't have gone to. I mean, Daniel is this guy who lives above board. He's that kind of guy. They know that. They've sifted through his garbage, so to speak. Um, the only, only way we're going to get him is by getting him in some sort of connection to his God because we know he's committed to that God. He'll be committed to that God above his commitment to the king. So verse 10, I love this verse. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. This is maybe the most important phrase in the chapter. He gave thanks before his God as he had done. What does it say? As he had done previously. See, Daniel is not somebody who just, he's trying to make a splash, he's trying to get some attention, he's going to, you know, uh, well, you know, I, I hear about this, this ordinance that's, that's been passed, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this statement, I'm going to be in public about this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start something new so that I can get some attention, so I can get in trouble. That's not what he does. This is not some sort of political statement that he's making, this is how he lived his life, this is what he had done previously. Now, I'm, we'll come back to that in a minute. They caught him. They went to the king. They said, "We've we've caught him. You know, he's he's made petition of his God, not of you. And uh, you know, the, the law's been passed. You signed it into into law. The medes, laws of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be changed. You can't do anything about it. And so he's got to be put into the den of lions." When verse fourteen, when the king heard this, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, but he couldn't. He couldn't because the law couldn't be changed. Verse fifteen. So he commanded Daniel was cast into the den of lions. And the king said to him, verse 16, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with a signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. The king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Isn't it interesting? Somebody pointed this out in my reading this week, but uh, it's interesting that of the two guys... Daniel or Darius, who got the better night of sleep? The king didn't sleep. I get the impression that Daniel had a pretty good night. At break of day, the king arose, verse 19, and went in haste to the den of lions. He came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live Forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. Daniel was taken up, no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The guys who had accused him were thrown into the den of lions. Daniel wrote this, or Darius wrote this precept that made this decree speaking favorably about Daniel's God, and that's the story of Daniel and the lions did. It's a story that's uh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Don't you love this? I mean, this is a great story. This is a great story. I want us to think about it for a minute because <clears throat> I want us to think about integrity. I want us to think about what it means to live in a hostile kind of world, in a world that maybe doesn't have a whole lot of good things to say about our faith, uh, a, a world that, needs more than ever to see you and me stand up and show them what it means to live a life of integrity and what it means to live a life of love and compassion and kindness. The, the world, many people in the world do not know what Christianity really is. What, what they see is what they see on TV or what they see in, in certain aspects of the press and what they see on, in, in movies. They don't really know what a Christian is. They don't know what that kind of Christian, what, how he or she might live his or her life. You know, they don't, they don't know that So what we take away from this story is that we can live lives of integrity and the world in some respects will take notice of that. That's where this story goes. Now, I'm about to point out four different things. But before we do that, I want you to envision in your mind four circles. Because I want to to use this as an illustration to help us see what Daniel shows us. If you've got... Four circles, each bigger than the one uh, beneath it. In the inner, what I'm talking about is a circle in the center surrounded by a circle that's slightly bigger, which is surrounded by a third circle, which is surrounded by a fourth circle. And if you start in that, that inner circle, we want to call that one your private life. Your private life. That is that inner circle this is a circle where no one else is. This is a circle where only you live, not your spouse, not your parents, not your siblings, not your children, just you and God. This is, this is you and God only. This is who you genuinely are and nobody else knows about it. Now, you may have people really close to you. And you say, this person knows me for who I am completely. Well, that's not really true. Nobody in this life knows you in your private life, the way I'm I'm wanting you to think about that. Nobody really knows you except for God. And He even knows you better than you know yourself. So, But we got that private life. Out from that, that second circle, we're going to call that one a personal life. I got this illustration from someone named O.S. Hawkins, by the way, and his application of it in this Daniel story. So I want to give him credit for helping me to think about it and explain it to you like this. So you've got that inner circle, that is the private life. You've got that next circle, and that is your personal life. So your private life and then your personal life. And your personal life is where you live with a few people. This, is, this would be people in your family. This would be people who know you outside of work, outside of church. Maybe some people at church might be in that personal life. You've got people who are really close to you, they know you quite well. they got that private life. That's you and God. Your personal life is a handful of folks whom you've invited to be a part of your life on a daily basis or at least a quite regular basis. The circle out from there is your professional life. Your professional life. These are the people with whom you work or go to school or if, you don't, if you're retired or you're not employed or you don't go to school. This is, this is your professional life in the sense that these are the people you associate with pretty regularly who know you outside of your, you wouldn't call them your closest friends, but they know who you are outside of your private life and your personal life, so your, your public life. This, these are the people who know you at work, who know you at school, who know the kind of person you are. That last circle is your public life. Your public life. Public life is people you, you may not even know them. They know something about you. They know something about your reputation. Things that, these certainly would include people at work, but it's, it's, it includes those who just know things about you. This is how your life emanates from that inner core, and it goes out there into the world. Now, I want us to back up for a second, and I want us to think for a few minutes about Daniel's integrity. Look back to Daniel 6, the first part of the chapter. You there with me? Daniel 6. Using that illustration of the circles, integrity... We get to the end of this. Let me back up for a second. You get to the end of the chapter, and you see how Daniel responds. you know, you got this, this great thing that Darius says at the end of the chapter, and he gives credence to Daniel's God, and just a beautiful thing at the end of the chapter. That's not where the chapter starts, though. That's, Daniel's, Daniel's integrity didn't, didn't start on the public stage. Daniel's integrity, our integrity, is always going to be rooted in your private life. If you look at Daniel 6, 1 through 3, Again, it says, Daniel became distinguished, verse 3, above all the other high officials. That's his professional life. And to an extent, that's his public life. He's distinguished. You know, people know this. Everybody in the kingdom would have known something about Daniel, right? But look at verse 3. He's distinguished. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The excellent spirit was within him that's his private life this is who daniel was when nobody else was around this was his nature this was his character it wasn't what he did for show he didn't he didn't do these prayers to make some sort of a political statement that's not why he did it he did it because that's what was in him that's what he did that was his private life and so when we're talking about integrity when you're talking about morality We're talking about the applications of that when when you're faced with a situation at school and you got this test and you really need to do well on this test and the person sitting in the desk next to you usually does quite well on these tests. And she's got her test out there in plain sight just begging to be looked at. What do you do? You know, what do you do? When you got that paper, and there are a billion sites that you can find online where well, you can come up with a pretty good paper and maybe even escape your teacher's attempt to find out through various means if you plagiarized, what do you do? What do you do when you're put in a position at work? And there's pressure, there's political pressure, there's social pressure on you to manipulate the data just a little bit because the quarterlies are coming out. We want to look good. What do we do? What do we do? See, the answer to those questions, the answer's already been decided. You see, how you respond to that moment when you're tempted to copy off somebody's test or plagiarize a paper or fudge the data just a little bit because of pressure from above, your, the answer to that question has already been decided. It was decided in your private life. That's where it's rooted, in who you are when you're alone, between you and God. Because if that is what it ought to be, if, if your devotional life, your, relation, your relationship to God, your Creator, is true, and consistent. And then when you're put in that temptation, that situation of temptation, to compromise your convictions, to compromise your integrity, you're you're being rooted in in your private life is going to influence who you are in other places. So it's rooted in your private life, but it is reflected in your personal life. It's rooted in your private life. It's reflected in your personal life. So here's here's the thing. I really want you to focus on on that inner circle being rooted in your private life but reflected in your personal life because who you are with those significant others, with those other people who are in your life, in your world, your, your spouse, your children, your parents, your siblings, your people you've invited, your close friends, people who know you really well what you are in your private life is going to be reflected in your personal life. Because that core is going to emanate from that. And so we see that with Daniel. Verses 4 and 5, that that conviction, that integrity in his private life, that excellent spirit of verse 3 is reflected in his personal life. Verses 4 and 5, they could not find a ground of complaint against him, verse 4. They couldn't find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. You see, they couldn't get in his private life. Not the way we're defining it this morning. They couldn't get in his private life. That's a place only he and God were. But they could get in his personal life. They could get in his personal life. They could talk to people who were really close to him. They could sift through some of the, some of the evidence, some of the data, They could find something. But because his integrity was rooted in his private life, it was reflected in his personal life and there was nothing they could find. And then here's the third thing. It is reinforced in your professional life. What you are in your private life is reflected in your personal life and it is reinforced in your professional life. You know, uh, after that Enron stuff... Came out a while ago. There were a lot of books that were written about it, as you might suspect. I read one of them, and it's fascinating. Do you know that manipulating of the data in order to inflate stock prices and keep keep people from finding out what was going on and making things be more successful, seem to be more successful than they actually were what was essentially going on was a, a breakdown at so many levels of integrity. But, you know, when all, when all that stuff, in Enron, you can apply this to any, anything, any of the scandals that have happened over the, any time, right? What happened started somewhere else. Like, like this wasn't just a snap, just a bad decision. This wasn't just a snap decision based on the spur of the moment. This was something that went back a long way, that started in, in, a, in a private life, it was, it was re- reflected in a personal life, but it was just reinforced. What happens in the public life is only a reinforcement of what's already been reflected in your personal life. That is why, by the way, that's why our, our children, we can hide things. We can hide things from people at church. We can hide things quite often, quite successfully from people in, the, in our public life. We can do that in our professional life. We, we can do that. But people closest to us are going to figure it out. Who we are in our private life between us and God is going to be reflected in our personal life. And that is why, that is why so often when we can hide things from everybody else, our, our, our people in our personal life, our children, our spouse, people who are really close to us, they're going to know. And that's why if you're a parent man take this take this so seriously, because you know you can fool us, we can fool one another, you know we can put on the happy face, we can put on the spiritual talk, we can put on the suit and tie and come to church or put on the nice clothes and come to church, and we can act like yeah we're the most spiritual person on earth, but our children know our children know, you know our spouse knows and 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 so that. That inner core has so many implications. And, and as, you, as you go out, they become less powerful. They have such an impact on the people closest to us. It's reinforced in his professional life, and it is revealed in our public life. See, what happens at the end of the story here with Daniel is Daniel... People find out about it, right? It started between him and God. It was reflected in his personal life. They couldn't find anything. It was reinforced in his, in his uh, professional life and the way that he interacted with others. But at the end of the story, what you have here is it was revealed. It is revealed in a public life. What you see out there in public started somewhere else. Let me just say a few practical words for us. Our world needs us. Our world doesn't even know this. But our world needs you and me to be men and women of integrity. People of morality. People who live consistently what it means to be a Christian. Our world desperately needs that. Your place of employment, your school, the people who know you on that kind of level, they need you to be someone who will not manipulate the data. They need you to be someone who doesn't cheat on the test or plagiarize the paper. Your professional life, people in that sphere, at work or school or in your neighborhood, they need you to be someone who will not gossip and speak inflammatory and negative words about other people. They need you and me to be that kind of person. They need it. They may not even know that they need it, but they do. They need you and me to be Christians. Our children, the people who depend on us, our grandchildren, people who are in our personal lives, they need more than anything for us to live lives of integrity. But all of that goes back to our private lives. So I want to I close I want to close this by asking you and me, how is your private life? That's where all this goes. How's your private life? How's your devotional life? How's your relationship to God? How how are those 15, 30 minutes a day? How's your quiet time? Are you taking time daily just to spend time between you and God, to adore Him, to worship Him? See, what He does in those moments is He shapes who you really are, so that people who are in your various spheres of influence, they receive the benefits of who you are in your private life. You know, in some ways, one pointed out in this story that this anticipates who Jesus was. Early Christians, the first few centuries after Jesus died on the cross, they in fact used in their art, they used images from this story of Daniel in the lion's den to point to the crucifixion of Jesus. Let me read you something here from one commentator on this. Just as Daniel was framed on a false charge by the Persian administrator, so Jesus was framed by the jealous religious leaders of his day. They reported to the Roman authorities that he was claiming political authority with the title, King of the Jews. Jesus, like Daniel, was arrested while at prayer in a private location. Pilate, like Darius, worked for his release. But in the end, both Daniel and Jesus are turned over to be executed. This commentator emphasizes, though, the big difference between the two, between Jesus and Daniel, is that Daniel emerges without a scratch while Jesus dies. In some ways, what I want us to see here is that this story anticipates what Jesus would do. And so even in a story like this, we see glimpses of a life of integrity, what Jesus will do in the face of extreme opposition, is he going to be who he is? Is he going to stand up for what is right in the face of opposition? Or is he going to cower and cave into the pressure? And Jesus at the cross was willing to go all the way to that awful death so that you and I might benefit. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to urge you to consider putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He was willing to do whatever it took to do for you what you desperately needed, what I desperately needed. And what he asked from you is for you to surrender your life to him, to believe in him with all of your heart, to turn away from your past and penitence. And that just means changing your mind about sin and trying your best to live for him. He wants you to confess your faith in Jesus as God's Son and put Him on in baptism to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of all of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. He'll forgive everything you've ever done. If you're not a Christian, we invite you this morning to put Jesus Christ on in baptism, accept Him as your Savior. Maybe you need to come back to Him today because your life has not been consistent with that which a Christian ought to live. God has given us beautiful examples like Daniel and especially like Jesus, of being men and women who do what's right, even when it's hard. If you're not a Christian, or if you need to ask for the prayers of this church, we invite you to come. Let's stand. Let's sing this song for your encouragement.